Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Heart of Sports with Jason Springer and Jeff Cohen, powered by ELEC 825. We are thrilled to join you on WWDB 860 AM and the 97.5 Network, ready to help you move into the weekend, talking about all the news in the world of sports. Jeff, we won't start talking about Thursday Night Football because there wasn't any. I know you're thrilled by that. I'm just smiling. Because I woke up this morning... I literally woke up this morning saying, what is Jason going to ask me about when we start the show? There is no Thursday night football. No, we should just go to our interviews. I've got nothing. Uh, (laughs) How about Clayton Kershaw? Can we just talk Clayton Kershaw for a minute? Hall of Fame pitcher who also has one one of, if not the highest ERA of pitchers that have pitched over 100 innings in, in the playoffs. So what's your take on baseball playoffs right now? We'll just jump right into it. Uh... Astros stayed alive. Cheaters. I know. Yeah. <laughs> they stayed alive. Carlos Cheaters. with the walk-off home run he called yeah. uh, right before that. They stay alive. Do uh, you think they're going to force a game seven? I hope not. I- I've never been a bigger okay. Rays fan. Not that I ever was a Rays fan. I, it, it, if anybody is rooting for these cheaters, I'd like to know. Because Altuve have the yips. Well, clearly he has the yips. <laughs> I believe Steve Sachs even commented about how he felt bad for him. Uh, yeah. I think he has the yips. How about the Braves? What's your take on what we're seeing in, in that series? Uh, Braves up 3-1. I don't know if people really expected that, given what the Dodgers had going into the series. How about not expecting it because of the number of starting pitchers that the Braves have lost during the season? They had what what should have been one of the best rotations in baseball, which included Cole Hamels and King Felix, both of which King Felix opted out before the season. Cole Hamels really never pitched because he was injured. They had other frontline pitchers get injured, and somehow they're doing this. I mean, it really is impressive what the Braves are doing. It's been 47 days since a positive COVID test in baseball. Uh, the bubble seems... Way to jinx it. Well, no, I'm just saying, you know, the bubble seems to be doing what they hoped it would. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, you know, it's funny. I hadn't watched as many games. I didn't realize they had fans in the stands there. Yeah. I don't know why. And I don't know. I mean, are people traveling to the games? Because it's not none of the games are the local teams. So it must be either people traveling or people just desperate to go see a sporting event live. Right. You would do that. No, the, not, not a chance. You, you don't want to travel now, but you're the right. kind of guy who travels for a sporting event live under normal circumstances. Yeah, when everybody's healthy. Yes, that's, that's when I travel for sporting events. I mean, had it not been for COVID, we would have banged out the remaining six major league stadiums and, and done all of them by now. But obviously, we didn't get that opportunity. Yeah, we'd have done our minor league show this year, too. We didn't get mm-hmm. that opportunity. I missed that, by the way. That was... That was something that yeah, was- I can't wait to get back to, to learning about the Phillies prospects next year and, and seeing all those guys back where they really want to be. Gonna have a lot of different people involved in the process, or are we not? Is it just a rearrangement of what was currently there in this organization? We don't know. We don't know how Major League Baseball is going to reorganize minor league baseball. It really hasn't been finalized yet, but it does look like some teams are gonna go the way of the dodo bird. Um of the Phillies minor league teams, I don't think there's any chance that the Iron Pigs or, or Redding is touched. The question is whether or not a team like Williamsport is touched. I think yeah, Lakewood's safe, safe too for us. but The crosscutters seem to be the most vulnerable of the teams in the system. Yeah. Uh, in, in terms of the players, they're going to have to do some replenishing now in that system. They've, they've brought some of their big names up. 
Um, it seems like at some point they're going to have new people in the front office, whether John Middleton is waiting for Theo Epstein or what he's doing. It doesn't seem like he's in a rush. So I don't know that we'll see changes right away. But I'm, I'm curious to see what the philosophy of this team becomes going forward if they're going to move in a different direction with the people that are doing it. Yeah, you and every Phillies, other Phillies fans out there. I mean, come on. Middleton is just sitting around trying to figure out what he's going to do. And the rest of the league is trying to figure things out and is going to move forward with that while he's standing there waiting for Theo Epstein. Theo Epstein still has another year on his contract. And who says he wants to come here? It's a good Good question. I mean, you would think that he'll be a desired person out there in the league. I don't really know who else will be the names that Middleton will seek out, uh, but clearly something needs to be done because is it going to matter? Let me ask you a question. Well, is saying, it really going to matter? You watch these teams compete right now and the Braves are ahead of schedule. Their farm system is extremely deep. And no, that's not what I'm talking. About. I'm not talking about competition. Uh, is it going to matter? Is John Middleton going to hand the keys over even to Theo Epstein and just sit back? Doesn't seem. Like I don't think so. Hard. I think that he likes to be in the front. Does that concern you? <laughs> uh, anytime an owner is that in front of the front office, it concerns me. Anytime an owner throws a general manager under the bus when it's clearly up to the owner to pay somebody like JT Realmuto, just to see your face turn red, God. yeah, uh, then I have a problem with it. Why do you do this to me? Can we talk about happier things? Go ahead. So we've got, we're continuing our, our series uh, on coaches versus cancer and the Philadelphia involvement. And, you know, we're, we're getting a chance here to, to talk to one of the great coaches that have been involved with this. Let's go to our conversation that we've got going on with uh, Fran Dunphy here. It is great to be joined by the all-time winningest coach in Philadelphia Big Five history, Fran Dunphy. Coach, how are you doing with us today? Doing very well. Thank you, guys. Not not a great day weather-wise, but a good day to be on the phone with you and chat about life and its pursuits. Well, uh, you know, you talk about life, you, you know, you're more than just a, a coach. We'll get into your, your coaching career, but we've been uh, having a lot of the different coaches from the Big Five City Six on talking about the history of coaches versus cancer here in the city. Um, talked to Coach Martelli uh, a few weeks ago. We figured who else better to, to bring on other than the current coaches than yourself. Uh, you've been doing this for almost 25 years now. Can you, can you talk about how this started where coaches versus cancer in Philadelphia became a thing with these schools? Well, whatever Phil said, I'm probably going to agree with, but I will give you my thoughts on how it all started. And I, I hope it, it parallels what Phil has already said, but we, it started in 1993 on a national basis, and we discovered uh, through going to a number of events together that we weren't doing anything uh, with this, and we needed to. And so we got together and started a breakfast and led to a golf tournament, which led to a dinner, which led to a lunch, which led to a high school initiative. And so things just kind of took off from there, and it, it just built slowly, but uh, – but to a, a to a level that we're really proud of, and and can't thank uh, all the people that have been involved enough, and and to include our corporate community who has has gotten behind this charge, and so we we built a brand I think in Philadelphia that people recognize, and we certainly hope that we are ha, have been able to raise a significant amount of dollars, and that we have helped a lot of folks uh, in this charge, and. 
just to, as a side to that, I, I can't tell you the number of friends and family that will call uh, us as coaches just because they think we're tied into the, that we know what we're doing in fighting cancer, which we obviously don't, but we do have connections to those that do. And so we have, you know, somebody might say, well, have, my dad has colon cancer. Where do I go? What do I do? And, and we can put them into, uh, you know, American Cancer Society uh, contact that can help them as they now navigate the waters uh, when you get that horrible uh, diagnosis. You know, you have cancer and it, it strikes a lot of fear in people's heart. Which, how does it feel to be able to use the platform that you developed coaching to get those calls and be able to help those families find the, the right doctors uh, to, to get the, the treatment that they need? Yeah, it's it's really what <clears throat> I think what drives all of us as coaches that you're trying to put together a team that then can be a, a well-oiled, efficient group that can do things and do do them well. And uh, you you establish an organization that people feel confident in, and I think that's hopefully where we are with what we've done. And yeah, it's what it's what drives you. It's uh, you know you're trying to help others. It's life is about uh them it's not about you it's it's uh you know the more you give the more you get and then that's got to be the the thought behind every coach mentor counselor what have you you're just trying to help and you said you know you're able to raise a little money uh you undersell that you guys have raised 17 million dollars over that in philadelphia you're one of the largest if not the largest groups that that contributes and in addition to that you know there's now facilities like hope lodge that exist to help families can you talk a little bit about what that means to you the the legacy i know you're not a person who likes to tout your own work but the legacy that's that's left here for families that come into this city because of the work that's been done by yourself and others well again i appreciate the 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 praise it it really and i'm going to give it back to those who have helped so much more than I, and I'm, I'm going to say that Martelli has been really the, the mover and the shaker. I'm going to give him most of that credit. But one of the things like the Hope Lodge, where it is basically a Ronald McDonald house for adults, and you can go there, there's 37 rooms at, at, the, at, the, at the house, uh, at, the, at the Hope Lodge in it, and you can come with your caretaker and, 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 really take care of financially they will take care of they will take care of your transportation they will feed you they will give you emotional support it's just a phenomenal place uh and and it's also one of those things where where if you ask for dollars uh it's something that you can put your arms around you know what you're giving here and uh so it's it's really been a phenomenal thing and we had a one of our guys a guy named frank miller who lost his wife to cancer and then he lost his life to cancer he was just really dedicated to the cause up there. So if you go up to that Hope Lodge, they've given the, a lobby to the Coaches Versus Cancer program, and we're grateful for that because it shows that we've worked hard to try to help build it. But this guy, Frank Miller, and his family you know, have a number of rooms named after them. It's just one of the people that has helped us so much in, in what, the, what we've done. But this Hope Lodge is just a neat, neat place. And, I'm not sure how much time you have with me today, but I would tell you a story of a, a guy 
by the name of Will Smith, who just changed how I looked at life, after, and it had something to do with the Hope Lodge. But I won't tell it unless it's, we got some time. We, we got all the time for you. Okay. Uh, so here's what happened to me. I was speaking at a clinic up in New York, a, a coach's clinic. And at the end of the clinic, this young guy raised his hand. He asked me a question that I, I'm sure I didn't answer as great as I could, but I, I tried my best on it. But as I was driving home, uh, I stopped to get gas. And I saw this email from this guy. He said, I was the guy that asked you the question. My name is Will Smith. And uh, he said, I, I come every other Friday to Philadelphia. I coach high school basketball, girls high school basketball in Western Massachusetts. But I come every other Friday to Philadelphia to get my cancer treatments. Uh, can I come by your practice? Well, right away, I get tears in my eyes. And I, I, I write him back and say, of course you can. You can come anytime you want. And that following Friday came to Philly, came into my practice. And he's got a bag over his shoulder carrying his chemo. And uh, so, I, again, because I'm a sap, I, I cry at everything. And uh, so I, cr I cry as I meet him. And I said, okay, tell me your story here. And he drives every other week, four and a half hours to, to Philadelphia Co uh, Cancer Treatment Centers of America. And uh, so I said, well, yeah, how long does it take? You know, how long does it take? What do you do? What do you eat? Where do you stay? And he said, well, I stay at this, you know, Renaissance Hotel. What do you pay? You know, it's like $80 a night. And I said, listen, we have a Hope Lodge up by, uh, by uh, Fox Chase Cancer Center. We need to, we need to help you here. You got to let me help you. Uh, you're going to, I want you to make me feel better. I, I, I appreciate where you are, but I need to feel better helping you. And he, he thought for a second and he, he said, well, you know what? I, I appreciate that. Uh, I'll get back to you. And so two days later, uh, I get an email that Monday morning saying, Coach Dumphy, thanks so much for thinking of me and uh, presenting that opportunity to stay at the Hope Lodge. My only concern is that I would be taking up a room from somebody else who can't afford it quite like me. So I, I, I immediately picked up the phone. I got his phone number, and I, I said, who, who are you? What can, who, how, can the, how can life be filled with people like you? You, you're fighting this thing like crazy and you're worried about other folks. And, and that's just who he was. He just didn't think about himself. He thought about other people. And so he became a great, great friend. And uh, there's more to the story. They gave me a, an award uh, that year for coaches, uh, like a uh, coach of the year award. And as I got the, uh, they presented it to me, I started talking and said, listen, I'm going to tell you about the real coach of the year. It's Will Smith. And here's his story. And, it never is about him. It's always about somebody else. And, and he, he lost his life. He, he, he got in remission for a little while and then, and the cancer came back with a vengeance and he lost his life. But he's a guy that I think of, and it sounds like an exaggeration, but it's, it's absolutely many, many days during the week. I think of this guy of how he might solve a problem or how he might act toward others. And uh, he's an inspiring figure for me. And, so it's those kind of people that I think jump off the page at you. And if you are aware enough and you're thinking enough about others, then you get a chance to, to, to make a difference because there's some just great people out there. And Will Smith is one of them. Coach Walt, 
Coaches versus Cancer has been around in Philadelphia for about 25 years. It continues to grow with with the new generation of coaches. Uh, we've talked to coaches Howard, Lang, Spiker. Uh, they all talk about uh, what you and Phil started, and they're continuing it, including taking their own student athletes to Hope Lodge and doing other events. What's it like for you to see the next generation of coaches in the city take from your lead and keep it going? Yeah, I appreciate the question and the, how it's framed, and it's awesome to be honest with you. It's there's some really good guys in that group, and they're all good guys, and they they all want to help, and they all get that that's now part of the charge. That that when you come to Philly, and or if you were now coming to one of these schools and being the coach, well, yeah, you're supposed to do a good job with coaching your team and getting making sure that your players are doing well, but you also have to give back a little bit. And here's one way of doing it. And, and we have started something that has a great hope for the future as well. And so it's heartwarming. And the other part that's really great is that they go there with their teams. And there's a, something magical that happens to those kids when they go there. They, you know, they feed, help feed the the people that are there, the caretaker and the, and the patient. And they engage them in conversation, which when I was their age, I would have had a tough time doing, but they do it and they understand it. And that's part of their job as well. And so it's really neat to watch. It's neat to watch the, how they have grown and how they picked up the mantle here and, and done a good job and, and they will continue to do so. You're not just a teacher on the court and a teacher in life with some of these off the court activities. You're a teacher in the classroom. You've been a full-time educator 12th year teaching at Temple's Fox School of Business. You taught at the Wharton School of Business. How'd you decide you wanted to be in the classroom teaching, not just on the court? And what does it mean to you to have the opportunity to work with students like that? Well, it started because of a professor at, at Penn who was a basketball nut. And he said, I think we, we could do a good job being in the classroom together. And so we did that at Penn for seven fall semesters. And I I'm in the, the 14th fall semester now at, at Temple doing it with uh, Lynn Anderson, who has become a great friend and just a, a marvel at how her energy is and a great teacher. And so we do it uh, together. We have, like, for example, I had Greg Popovich into our class over Zoom the other day, and uh, we've had all sorts of great folks, great people in Philadelphia who have come and some, some others that are outside it, like Popovich. Uh, so it's it's fun to to listen to the kids and to learn from them. I'm I'm certainly learning from them way more than they're learning from me. It's great stuff and uh, it, it's just a lot of fun and, and it brings you a great. You can see the vibe on campus when you get out of your office and go across the street and and see what these kids are all about. So it's been it's been a blast to be honest with you. Coach, we'd be remiss if we didn't ask you about your days coaching at Penn. What was it like to coach in the Palestra? Yeah, I think there were many nights where I would I would be the last one out of the gym. The lights were all off other than a, a hanging bulb uh, like you might see in your basement, but hung down there. And it, but I would stop oftentimes at, the, at half court on my way out and just pinch myself that I had the key to the front door of the palestra after having gone there as a, as a young kid and then played there in college and then coached there as an assistant coach. And then finally I got the job at Penn and a remarkable place you know it's hard to explain you really can't explain the palestra and it's hard to explain the big five to people who don't really get the, the philadelphia model of this and 
it's a pretty special thing that we have, very much a part of the fabric of the Philly sports scene, and it's a revered place, and it should be. It's funny you say that because, um, you know, you played at LaSalle, you went to Nova, you coached at Temple and Penn. There are a few people that are more Philly, and you said it's hard to explain the big five. What is the competition like on the court that then off the court you can still get together? That's what's always amazed us in these interviews is you'll fight like dogs on the court, and then you'll go help people at Hope Lodge after. Can you talk about how – Big five basketball, not necessarily the basketball. It's larger than basketball in this city, it seems like to us. Well, so Philadelphia, people remark on this all the time, that when you, you, you're you from Philly, most of the time you stay in Philly. And uh, it's just kind of who we are as, as, a, as a people. And, uh, yeah, we're, you're right. We try to beat, our, beat each other's brains out. But once the game's over, you know, we may have a recruiting assignment, uh, with everybody the next weekend and, and we wind up sitting together at, at games, you know, people say, you just try to beat the drawers off of each other. And now you're, you're uh, sitting together. Well, that's just the way it is. You know, you, you come here and you, you get these jobs. And, and the reality is that that's what happened in 1955 when it got started. That's how the people treated each other. That's how the, the other coaches were with each other. They would go out to dinner after they played things like that. And so while we're maybe not that close, we, and then we go and we we have a charity event, a, a gala at the a downtown hotel, and, and everybody's there, and we all know the drill. And the drill is to raise money and raise awareness and, and come together as a group and, and praise one another and, and just be there for each other. And that's that's what we try to do. And it's a, it's a remarkable thing. It's hard to, again, hard to explain that relationship that you just jump into once you join that big five. Philly six culture. You do seem to have a special relationship with coach Martelli though. Uh, as, as a big fan of cheesesteaks, we hear yourself. Have you gotten the chance to talk to coach Martelli while he's up in Ann Arbor coaching uh, at Michigan about where he's getting his cheesesteaks? And if he can't find any, are you sending any to him? <laughs> uh, well, no, I'm not going to send them any, uh, but he, he's a really good friend and uh, uh, I love him to death and I miss him. I miss him not being here because he he added that energy and enthusiasm to what it is we try to do as as people and as coaches and so uh, life will be okay for Phil it always will be because he's got a good heart and he's got a terrific soul and uh, so he, he's going to do okay whatever he does he's got a great family and so we're I'm very proud of him what he's accomplished what he's done and and uh, we do talk probably once once every two weeks, I would say, be the average and just kind of BS about life and Corona and college basketball and Philadelphia and the Eagles and the Phillies and Sixers, Fires, whatever we can, whatever we can think of, mostly about our families and our friends, but, but uh, all good. As a Michigan man, Jeff was trying to give him food tips when we interviewed him. So don't worry, Jeff's trying to make sure he finds places to eat. I did want to ask you, there was a story I had heard. um, It kind of embodied to me your relationship with your players. Deontay Christmas, I my dad went to Temple, so I grew up a Temple fan. Um, Even though I went to Rutgers, still watch him a lot and watch a lot of him play. Um, You had a mustache for 40 years, and because of Deontay Christmas, you don't anymore. Can you talk about that story? Because it just seemed to me to embody your commitment to the people that you work with. 
Well, when he finished his uh, eligibility, he had one course left to graduate. But he was also trying to be an NBA player, and he so that summer he worked his butt off to get to be uh, on an NBA team. He wasn't drafted, but you know he had a he was a really good college basketball player and a good guy. And so I said to him, "Listen, it's, I appreciate everything you've done for Temple and for me as a coach. You need to get this degree. That's what, you got to do that for yourself, for your family. You need to get this degree. And I know it's only one class, but it's got to be done." So he he hemmed and hawed a little bit because of his desire to to be an NBA player, and I totally understood. But uh, so he he didn't get it that summer. So the next summer he came back and uh, and we talked a little bit. And I said, "Listen, this can't. You got to do this. This is my my fervent wish is that you graduate. And uh, as a matter of fact, if you get this course finished." And you now fulfill your graduation requirements. I've had this mustache for 40 years. I'm gonna gladly shave it. And but that summer he didn't finish it again. So I was really angry with him. I said, I'm uh, don't don't come around here. I'm not gonna tell anybody you ever played at Temple. I'm not gonna be in your corner. I was thinking of anything I could do to motivate him. So the next summer he comes back and I don't hear from him uh, at all. He does work out around Philadelphia, but I don't see him or hear from him. And uh, uh, so finally, at the end of the summer, I get this text message from him, and it said, get your razor ready. I said, oh, man, I opened my big mouth now, and I got to follow through. So that uh, not long after that, we had a we start, we had a press conference, and you know, he, he came to the press conference and filmed it with his iPad. And uh, I said, you're making this about me. This is really about Deontay Christmas, and, and one of the things that – that's so important here is that he has graduated and uh, it's really a great accomplishment for him. He's a terrific guy and he's going to one of these days be an NBA player. He had been overseas for a couple of years. And so with that, that year, he actually made the Phoenix Suns roster and stayed with them the whole year and was fulfilling in that regard that he, uh, he made it to the NBA uh, that he made me shave my mustache, but most importantly, the, the thing that was most fulfilling is that he finished his graduation requirement, and I'm very proud of him, and terrific guy. And he was the first in his family to graduate from college, so I mean, it's just a great story there, Re- really great story. Coach, yeah. We, yeah, we can't fun. begin... Oh, sorry, go ahead. It was it was a lot of fun. I enjoyed shaving my mustache for that cause, and, uh, and I haven't had it back since, but... Uh, because somebody said you look younger and thinner, so I got no shot at getting it back again. So. <laughs> Except with Movember. I've grown it back in Movember, which is a cause for uh, prostate cancer. And so I've gripped, and I look like a, not that I'm a good looking guy anyway, I got a face for radio, but uh, the I, I grow it in November and it, it looks really ratty by the end of November. So I'm happy to get rid of it again. <laughs> wow. Go with it when people give it to you. Uh, we can't thank you enough for the time. If people want to support what you're doing with Coaches Versus Cancer, where can they uh, get involved, give money, support your efforts? Well, they can go on our website, coachesversuscancer.org, uh, and all that information's on there. And we can't thank the Philadelphia community enough for getting behind us, and that's everybody. It's the grassroots people. It's the corporate community. It's so many folks who have gotten behind us and 
made coaches versus cancer, the Philly six coaches versus cancer, the best in the country. And so we're, we're grateful for that, but, uh, and thank you guys for, for doing what you're doing and, and talking about us. We really appreciate it. Thanks so much for the time, coach. We wish you the best of luck going forward and uh, we'll talk to you soon. You have a great day. Yeah. Thanks guys. Appreciate it. You know, we, we have these conversations with them back to back weeks. A lot of times, the thing he said in there is that the new coaches have accepted the mantle that that's what they do. And it's just a testament to what they've done in this city over the last 25 years, that that's the way it's viewed. You come in and that's a part of your job as coach of a big five city six university. Yeah. But I think it says more about their character. I don't, when you say that's part of their job, they accept it. I don't think, I don't think it's that simple. I think what you're saying is right. But I think that it's more than that. I think the character of the individuals that are coaching uh, makes them ideal for continuing this legacy. They find people who want to be doing this. This isn't something where the universities say, hey, look, you have to do this as part of your job. I think these people seek this out. And I think they don't only seek it out for, them, for themselves and for the people they care about. It's the fact that they're already paying it forward. So while Phil Martelli and Fran Dunphy uh, took this, took the reins of this and decided to make this something special, um, they handed it over to these coaches and they're continuing it. And these coaches are now not just doing it themselves, they're handing it over to their student athletes. And those student athletes are gonna make it their own someday. And that's what makes it so special is that this is, this is what pay it for it is all about. And yet they'll get on the court and they will compete, as you said, they'll fight like dogs. And then they'll get off that court, and then they'll go do a cause together. And I think that's what makes Philly sports so special. I think the best part of this is how humble they are about it. None of them seek the attention. They're all very reluctant when we try to – they're not reluctant to tell us stories, but they're reluctant to take or get credit for it. They deflect uh, it. Yeah, they, <laughs> they actively – I mean, you heard Dunphy there – deflect it to the coach who had cancer or to his student. It wasn't about him shaving his mustache. They all, and maybe that's the mark of a good coach, but it's what we've seen here is they actively try not to get credit for the things that they're doing. They try to give credit to the people who are giving them the opportunity to do it. It seems it's character. It's what these guys have. Every one of them has character. And I think that's what makes them, not just great individuals and great citizens, but it also helps them with coaching. I, I mean, it, it, as, as a parent, and you're a parent now too, isn't this the kind of coach, kind of individual you want, want your kid to learn from as yeah, he mean, goes off to college and becomes an adult? Assuming my kids weren't my kids and they could actually grow tall enough and have skill to play, I would definitely want them on one of these teams. But unfortunately, yeah, well, my kids, and they've got a chance to be a water boy for one of these teams. But that's okay because that's an important role. It is. Uh, and the movie was great water boy uh, <laughs> again i will give you credit on the air because i got to make sure i give you credit great for I, what the coaches versus cancer series that we're doing um, i'm going to deflect it and say that it was uh, that it was a joint idea by both of us and, uh, and the fact is it's just our opportunity to do a little something and if people have missed any of the interviews um they're obviously all on our website we also now have a playlist on our facebook page of the coaches versus cancer videos uh, of the interviews. This is now six of them that we've done. 
Uh, we'll look to do a couple more and then and wrap that series up. But uh, but that doesn't mean that that doesn't mean the fight stops. No, look, I mean, so you can still go to Coaches versus Cancer. You can watch the the event that they did online anytime you want, and you can also donate to the cause. I mean, look, do we know anyone that hasn't been touched by cancer? And it's something that we should all keep fighting for because there there have been advances, there have been cures, but not all of them. And it, we have to keep working at it. Yeah, it's uh, good that we can use our platform for this, but uh, good to see how they're using their platform. All right, let's get on to some talk in between before we get to Carly Lloyd. Okay, Jeff? Go for it. Sixers uh, have a new head coach in Doc Rivers, have a new assistant coach in Dave Jorger. Uh, I like it. Grizzly. You like it? Hold on, I'm going to go over all of the moves in the Sixers currently right now. And Those then- other moves don't matter, but go ahead. Vice President of Strategy has left. It seems like Elton Brand may get some reinforcements uh, with the Pacers Senior VP of Basketball Operations coming over, Magic Director of Pro Scouting coming over. Uh, Jorger, you do like, and I, I like his defensive creativity that he's known for. Um, I, I think that that will be good for this team, and I think the more experienced coaches who have been through the wars in basketball that can be in the ears of Ben and Joel – um, the more cachet they have to get listened to. I, I think it, I think that Doc Rivers found himself a good lieutenant, somebody who is a good X's and O's guy when it comes to the defensive side of the ball, uh, who's kind of known as a tough guy. And I think that's what they need. I think they don't need people. That, uh, I think the next two assistants are going to be more players coaches. But I think Dave Jorger is in here for a specific role. And I think it's a role that is desperately needed. Well, and he couldn't have uh, who he had as his lieutenant, Ty Lue, because Ty Lue is going to be the new coach for the Clippers for the next five years. Yep. There's Um, a lot of movement in the NBA and still a lot to do. And one of those Rockets still don't have a coach, although my guess would be is it's going to be Sam Cassell now. They also don't have a general manager anymore. Daryl Morey says he's leaving. Um, I think we both agree we'd probably prefer him to the – conglomeration or whatever it is that they've got going on in the Sixers front office? I mean, I don't understand. Okay, so you brought in the guy from the Pacers. You brought in the guy from the Magic. What does it all mean? That's what we don't know. You can keep bringing people in and compiling a bunch of a, a crew, but the question is, who's the general manager? Who's the guy that's making the decisions? That's all that matters to me. I don't care about all this other stuff. I hope that I hope that whoever is making the decisions has the ear of everybody else and is is figuring out the rest of it. I need to know who's making the decisions, asked, and then I'll have confidence. You asked this question for the Phillies, though, so I'll ask it back to you. Is Josh Harris making the decisions? He was. I mean, is Elton Brand really going to be making the decisions for this team? I don't think he was before. I, th- I think that this would jo- all of the decisions that were made were Josh Harris looking for to, looking for a way to make the sexy decision that was going to be the splash in the headline of the papers or on the internet front page, and that's what that's how we got into this mess. He went out and got all of these free all the, all of these big trade guys, and now you have a bunch of guys making the max that don't fit. Sometimes bringing it, sometimes getting an undrafted free agent is the answer, and I, I'm not going to say where we went to school. But somehow the Heat brought in a bunch of guys like that, including Duncan Robinson. And, and it was fitting pieces in. And that's what the Sixers don't have is pieces that fit in roles that they need to be in. 
Well, let's leave that there. Let's uh, let's go to a little soccer talk. What do you think, Jeff? Yeah, let's go talk to uh, Carly Lloyd for a couple minutes. Let's go to our conversation with Carly Lloyd right now. We are thrilled to be joined by two-time Olympic gold medalist, FIFA Women's World Cup champion, 2015 FIFA Player of the Year, Carly Lloyd. Carly, thanks so much for the time today. How are you? No problem. How are you guys doing? Oh, we're fantastic. It's a fun time to talk soccer, obviously, in this city with the Philadelphia Union and all that you do for the soccer community. We, we wanted to bring you on today to talk a little bit. We understand you've got a skills clinic coming up in our own backyard at the beginning of November. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Yeah, I'm really excited um, to be able to host um, another clinic. I know we're in a pandemic um, here in our country, so it's a little challenging, but I think it's kind of a good thing for the, the kids. You know, they've missed out on a lot of different things and activities. Um, so now this is the second one I'm, I'm kind of putting on. It's November 7th. Uh, there's three sessions. Um, first one starting at 12 and then the last one ending at 7. It's, it's in May's Landing, um, Hamilton Township down in South Jersey. So I'm really excited. It's, you know, kind of a good way of um, talking to the kids about kind of the mental habits and some core values that have helped me throughout my life and then take them sort of in, in the mind and um, a training, a live training event as to, you know, what I do on, on a daily basis. So I'm looking forward to it. We've seen the way that kids react to you. What does it mean to you to be able to inspire so many kids, particularly many young girls, to, to chase their dreams like you did? Well, I think it's incredibly important. Um, you know, it was a little different when I was growing up. There weren't that many live female role models. So I just tried to, you know, be positive and, um, you know, just, just try to help this next generation, you know, uh, a positive word here and there or a high five, um, a good job, you know, goes a long way. Um, and, and that's a lot of the things that I've kind of done over the years of my career. And um, it's important to me. It's important to me to, to give back and, and to help um, because I can help inspire and, and change people's lives. And um, hopefully my story has inspired them to um, know that, you know, hard work and, perseverance and dedication can uh, help you accomplish um, all your dreams that you that you want to accomplish. Arlie, you're talking to, to two guys who grew up in New Jersey themselves. What's it like to have grown up in New Jersey and kind of be a role model to, to New Jersey, New Jersey athletes and New, New Jersey kids in general? Well, I'm a Jersey girl through and through. Um, I still reside here in Jersey. I went to school um, at Rutgers University, so I've, you know, I've I've landed my roots here um, forever, and and I I really love, you know, just kind of being a part of this area and and just um, growing up as as a little girl in Dalran, New Jersey, and you know, kind of being a, a Philly sports fan. I know. Uh, what the area is like as far as, you know, athletes and um, the way people uh, just support the hometown heroes. So it's, it's no different. You know, I've, I've felt that over the years and um, it means, means a lot to me to, to know I have a tremendous amount of support in this area. All right. So I have to ask the FUD non-sports question as the Rutgers grad on the show. Also, I don't often get other Rutgers alum on the show. Did you ever hit the grease trucks? I know you were playing all the time when you're an undergrad. 
but I try to explain this to Jeff. Did you ever get a chance to go over them? <laughs> I did. Yeah. Um, I can't even remember what I ordered. I, I had it once. Um, my stomach didn't feel too great after that. So, uh, I never, never really had them again, but you know, it was, it was loaded with, uh, chicken fingers, fries, and probably a whole bunch of other stuff. But yeah, the, the grease trucks are something you've got to try if you're at Rutgers. As somebody who is an athlete who has to watch the kind of things that they eat and eating healthy all the time, what is the New Jersey guilty pleasure that you would eat? Ooh, uh, probably some some good quality pizza. Although my my pizza place that I like is Pietro's Pizza and um, on Walnut Street in Philly. So whenever I'm over there and splurging, I tend to get that. Um, the other thing I would probably splurge on is um, some good Indian food. There you I can't, go. can't eat that stuff all the time, but every now and again. The food conversations always end up fun. We'll, we'll take it a little more serious than the food. Uh, it's been a, a trying year for everybody. You saw the Olympics postponed. You're obviously trying to chase making that team again. What's it been like for you and your teammates, you know, when you found out it was postponed and everything that's happened this year with the sport? It's been, yeah, it's been a tough year. Um, I can't believe that we're nearing November and, you know, this pandemic hit in uh, middle of March. Um, yeah, it's been definitely a, a trying year. I think, you know, some of my teammates, you know, a little bit bummed that now got to wait another year to compete in the Olympics. Um, I think, you know, some are probably, uh, you know, looking forward to maybe having another year to prep. Uh, it's, you know, it's definitely, it's definitely been, been interesting. Um, our team, you know, the national team, we really haven't been, been able to even get together and, and do more and, and train more. So it's definitely challenging in that regard, but like anything, uh, life throws a lot of things your way and you just have to adapt and, and find a way and, and figure it all out. Uh, I know that, you know, my teammates and I will, will be just fine and we'll find a way and hopefully we're, we're all back to somewhat normal at some point. Um, I would like to say maybe by January, you know, 2021, we'll get out of this year and hopefully, uh, you know, go back to somewhat of some normal circumstances. Team sports is about chemistry. We've been talking to a lot of uh, athletes and coaches about how they've been dealing with, with chemistry in the pandemic, not being able to get together. What is the U.S. women's national team doing to kind of keep themselves bonded? Um, I don't think we have any issues as far as bonding. I think that, you know, we all, um, we're all pretty much a, a pretty close knit team. Um, we're used to being around one another. I think this is probably the longest spell that we've all been apart from one another. Um, in the beginning of, you know, of everything we were, you know, Vlaco, our head coach was, was holding some zoom sessions, um, doing some, some video and, and kind of going over things. So at least we could see each other from, on the screen um, and just feel some sort of connection. Um, other players have, you know, been with their clubs, the NWSL season, um, the Challenge Cup they had over the summer, and now this fall series, and then the national team. There's a camp coming up in October. 
Um, so I've been kind of fully removed just because I've been battling an injury and kind of coming back from that. But, um, you know, I think from our standpoint, our team, we're a little bit different than maybe other teams. And uh, we'll we'll pick up right where we left off when we see each other. How is the injury recovery going? We don't need details. Just is it is it a challenging process for you? Obviously, there's a physical and the mental side of it to not be out there, to be on the field that, that you love so much. What's that been like for you? Yeah, it's been challenging. Um, you know, kind of came on unexpected and um, just had, you know, something that, that I've had to deal with with my knee. And, um, you know, knees are tough just because they're, you know, they're they're everything. And you're, you know, weight-bearing on it and, and all that. Um, so it's it's been challenging, but it's, you know, taught me patience. Um, but if there's any time to be injured, I think now is probably the best time. Um, it's been several years since 2017 that I've been injured. Um, so I've had kind of a good run and now, you know, my, my body and mind is, is going to get a nice break. Um, and, uh, now I'm, you know, even more motivated to get back, uh, to compete again, to start, you know, really getting after it. Um, but, you know, I've had the luxury of not putting myself on a, a rushing timeline like most athletes have. So I've, I've really been able to, to be patient with it, um, go extra slow and, and just make sure that, that I come back, uh, with it healed and, and even stronger than before. You mentioned the run you've had, and obviously you're one of the most decorated athletes in, in women's sports. As somebody who's gone through so many competitions, you know, we talk about these these clinics that you're doing for the young kids. How do you, you have now less experienced players on the team with you? What advice do you give them through this process so that they can kind of keep their head up and push through the challenges they'll face? Uh, the biggest thing for me, you know, is consistency. You've got to be consistent. Um, you know, the game has evolved so much and, you know, players keep getting better. Teams keep getting better. Uh, the women's game keeps getting better. So you, you have to consistently, you know, play well and then, you know, consistently raise your game, um, you know, better and better over the years. And, and so, you know, my biggest thing to some of these younger players are um, embrace the moment, you know, but, but just know that, you know, anything can change at any moment and you have to be able to adapt and um, there's going to be some, some good runs but then there's going to be some really challenging times and, you know, you, you may feel like you go backwards, but um, it's only to propel you uh, forward even more. So um, can't get too high on the highs and, you know, can't get too low on the lows because a lot of things can, can change. You've learned so much as you've gone through this process. What, if you look back at your career so far, what is the most memorable moment that you've come across in your career? Uh, tough one. Um, I mean, I, you know, I would say most memorable, probably the 2015 world cup final, um, for, you know, a number of different reasons. Um, but you know, for me, it's, it's my whole journey because, you know, to get to that 2015 World Cup final, you know, everything else prior to that needed to happen. And uh, it helped, it helped play a role um, in that particular moment. So it's, it's really everything, um, you know, the, the good, the bad, um, all of it, you know, it's, it's my journey.
If people want to find out more information about participating in the skills clinic, where can they get the information to try and join you? Um, so I have it posted on several of my social media channels, um, but easiest easiest thing is, is probably, uh, you know, you can go on my website, you can subscribe at the bottom of my site to, to get news, um, and then, you know, go to my CL10 um, clinic page on my website, and it has all the information there, and um, a button to click for registration. Well, Carly, we wish you all and the I'm best. And hands on for the, I'm hands-on for the clinic and, you know, there the whole time and stuff. So it's, uh, it's fun for me. I enjoy it. Well, we'll make sure to encourage people to go and join you. We wish you the best of luck with the recovery and can't wait to see you back out on the pitch. Thanks so much for the time. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Jeff, it was really cool to get to talk to her. Uh, you could tell she can't wait to get back out there. Um, I sent over the information for the the soccer right to my niece and nephews right afterwards. So I don't know if they'll end up signing did up. They sign, I was going to say, did they sign up? Are they going to go know, play yeah. soccer with Carly Lloyd? That would I, be pretty cool, huh? My sister texted me back that she got the information. So I don't know if they'll get to play, but I thought it'd be a cool opportunity for them. They all play in, you know, either for high school or for their leagues. And uh, so I thought they would enjoy it. But you, know, you can tell every athlete you talk to, it's different how they navigate the challenges this year. And in addition to everything that happened with COVID, she had her own recovery. And that had to be its own mental challenge that she's coming through. So I'm sure she's really excited to get back out there and play. Yeah, but uh, but have you interviewed anybody in, in the five years we've been doing this? Have we interviewed anybody who's more mentally tough than Carly Lloyd? No, I've also never asked anybody if they went to the grease trucks at Rutgers. So thanks for that. Well, well, that's because we've only had two people from Rutgers on the show. We had Alexi Lalas, both of them soccer players, great soccer players. But I mean... You know, it's interesting because I was reading about uh, Brendan Aronson going over to Austria at the end of this year, and uh, they were talking about how there's there's really only three Americans that, that most kids have posters of in the, in their bedrooms, and one of them is Carly Lloyd. Uh, it, it's amazing how many people she's impacted, how many kids she's inspired. You mentioned Brendan Aronson transfer, the largest transfer fee uh, for a homegrown player, their first homegrown they're sending across the way. It's a really big accomplishment for that team in the Union Academy um, to get their homegrown transfer. And, and you're starting to see the fruits of that system pay off. I think the, the homegrown guys have like eight goals in games this season already. Well, what's amazing is that the union system has been set up in such a way that that their successes are leading to them leaving the team. And, you know, we've we talked earlier in the year to some people who cover the union about what does that mean? And is that something that we should be dejected about? And it's the opposite, that that the union program, the homegrown program that they have is leading to so much recognition that it's getting more kids into the program that are going to come up and that are going to be stars with the union. And yes, they may leave. I mean, my hope is at some point MLS becomes big enough that some of these guys stay. But the fact is, is, is that the union brought in a guy from Austria, Tanner Ernst to Ernst do Tanner. just this, huh? Ernest Tanner. Ernest yeah. Tanner. Yeah. Um, to do just this. And it's being, it's successful in the way that it's working and the thing that makes me most relieved is that Brendan's staying through the playoffs. He's not going till January. There are very few sports that that kind of thing happens. 
They don't want somebody on on the pitch in this case who could possibly get hurt uh, to stay here. And we're getting to see Brendan Aronson for a few more months, hopefully to go on a run to get the MLS Cup. He seems motivated to get that too before he goes. I think they all do. I mean, this team is motivated and it's got a coach who's motivated. You know, it's interesting, the connections with this Austrian team too. It's not just the general manager. Jim Curtin, uh, I believe, was teammates with the coach from over there. Yeah, there's a lot of synergy there. It's, it seems like it's going to be a good place, place for him to be. You can get back at it Monday night against New England Revolution. They had a win at home against Montreal. They were the first team in Pennsylvania to have stands or in Philadelphia area to have stand, fans back in the stands. Uh, they had a tie against DC United. Late goal that they got to tie it up. Um, you know, they're a fun team to watch. They're in second place right now in the East. And like we said when we talked to the captain last week, it, you know, they're where people want them to be for a team in Philadelphia right now. Well, it's nice to have a team that actually knows how to win, huh? Is that what's supposed to happen? Uh, apparently. I mean, let's go back to another one that's not then. Oh, I know where you're going. Go ahead, fly. Fly, Eagles, fly. Uh huh. All right. So it's a good thing I got a week to, to deal as, with. As, as you rub your eyes <laughs> with the, I still have nightmares of Nate Gary on Claypool. Um, I, um, it, it's driving me nuts still as it is, uh, Will Parks will be back this week. Uh, hopefully that means Nate Gary's on the field less, right? Uh, the Eagles will have fans in the stadium as they welcome the Baltimore Ravens. Okay. They so may wish they didn't have fans. Yeah. I was going to ask you, so what's the over under on the number of minutes before you hear booze before it starts? You really think they're going to boo before the game starts? Yeah, some players. I don't. I'm I'm giving it six minutes in. Uh, six minutes on the clock. Mike Vito on the other side of the glass virtually says first possession. So that that'd be you know first you know throw the ball into the ground first drop. Doug's throwing the ball instead of handing it off. You know that'll all that'll all get some booze. So there will be fans in the stadium. Uh, again, lots of injuries for this team. Deshaun Jackson is out. Lane Johnson is out. Alshon Jeffrey is out. Avante Maddox is out. Matt Pryor, Duke Riley, Marcus Epps. Darius Slay is questionable. Okay, so this is... You know the- who's not injured? Zach Ertz. And you know who Carson Wentz isn't throwing the ball to? Zach Ertz. Why? I don't know. He's Explain had- that to me. You had an all-pro tight end. And Zach, and, and, and it is something that Carson needs right now is a safety net. And why is he not throwing the ball to Zach Ertz more? You would think the solution is to hand the ball off to Miles Sanders and throw the ball to Zach Ertz. And instead, we have found new players to play at wide receiver. Um, and the amount of turnover that Wentz has had at wide receiver uh, has been unbelievable. I think he's thrown to like 18 different wide receivers during his time. Yeah, but he's got an all-pro tight end. He does. I don't know if he's injured or if he's not getting separation or what it is. It doesn't matter. Keep throwing it. Keep throwing it to him. What option do you have at this point? Just keep throwing it to him. This week, he will have a different combination of starters at his offensive line for the fifth time in six games. You know who you know who he's not going to have behind him? Le'Veon Bell. No, Le'Veon's going to the Chiefs, man. Rich get richer. (laughs) I just shook my head with that. Like the last thing they need is another offensive weapon. Uh, eh, that's although that could blow up the team. I mean, Andy Reid is playing with fire with Le'Veon Bell. It's not like this guy's a good guy in the locker room. 
I, if, uh, if he can ball, we'll did, all get along. If he can ball, wasn't he on the Steelers at, which, at one point and then uh, he just walked off the field? Yeah, look, we'll see what yeah. happens with him. What happened to him with the Steelers? They cut maybe, him, right? Maybe he'll be motivated with the Chiefs to play. Uh, an inspirational story, not that I, again, like to sing the praises of the Washington football team. See Alex Smith make it back on the field? I couldn't watch it. I don't know about you. I, like every, you every time, time watching. Yeah, every every time Aaron Donald just got up from his stance, I just I went, no, no, don't go over there. I mean, it. I'm happy for Alex Smith that he was able to conquer this, but I don't know if he should be out there. I've, and that offensive line isn't exactly protecting him either. No, not at all. They're definitely not. Uh, any matchups this week that have your attention? We'll see what matchups. Well, it depends on whether they play or not, but the one of the matchups that I found interesting was the Devin Broncos-Patriots game, but the problem is that Patriots now have another COVID test. Positive. Had one or two positives today, so we'll see what happens with that. There's a lot of bad games. <laughs> there are a lot of bad games. Yeah, I mean, Bears, Panthers, Washington Lions, Jaguars. Washington I mean, against the Giants. Oof. Uh, I, am I mean, the Browns Steelers might be the best of the bunch and, horrible, and the Chiefs and Bills. Horrible injury to Dak Prescott. Uh, I am interested to see what the Dallas Cowboys look like with Andy Dalton at their quarterback, whether they lean on the weapons that they have there and let him just be a game manager. Mm -hmm. um, but that's a tough injury that he had last last week. And you saw lots of players coming out and offering support. For oh, him. I think the Cowboys offense will be fine under Andy Dalton. I don't think they'll be as good as Dak Preston, Prescott, but it, their offense isn't the problem. Their defense is awful. Jeff, we're I under mean, two minutes, awful. And I'm going to give you a chance to rant about Nick Saban. Go for it. I'm concerned. Uh, I mean, look, we I've expressed since before the season started that the SEC does not seem like a league that cares about anything other than playing the games, you know, come hell or high water. Nick Saban tested positive this week for COVID. Now they're sitting there saying that if he tests negative three times, that somehow he'll be out on the field around the players. Last time I checked that there was some sort of national guideline that you're supposed to isolate for 10 to 14 days. Why in the world is the, would they even consider the coach being back on the field? So when, when do we sit there and say that safety is more important than a game? Well, so far there's five games postponed this week, and that does not include the Alabama-Georgia game. Florida said that they wanted to pack the swamp and then they got like 21 positive COVID tests. Yeah, he wanted 90,000 fans in the stand. Dan Mullen, the coach of Florida, wanted 90,000 fans in the stand. And the next day, a dozen of his players tested positive. You raised a concern early on about how forthright some of these schools are going to be. And um, this is going to be the test because you're really starting to see some of them now. Jeff, we're under 30 seconds. Any final thoughts for the week before we say goodbye to everybody? I'm just hoping that there's actual games this weekend. I mean, we, we, we literally don't know from minute to minute which games are going to be happening. So it's really hard to plan your weekend to watch football. Well, but let's hope there is football this week. We anticipate there'll be football on. Thanks so much for joining this week. Make sure to join us next Friday night as we help you start your weekend in style. Have a great one, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye.